The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Circumstances shift more reliably than the weather in Chicago. Peace comes in accepting that when you went to the recruiting office to apply for Life on Earth, you've signed up for one wild ride. That comes from my book, Younger by the Day, and it is the thought for the day on day number eight of Enchanted April, a project that I am doing during the rather difficult month of April 2020. You know, if you're vegan, that wild ride that we all signed up for get some amazing perks. You can know that even on the days when you seem to be doing nothing grand and nothing terribly helpful, you're saving lives, you're lessening suffering, you're investing in a safe and healthful future for all life. And that's a lot. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran. I hang out at MainStreetVegan.net, which I do invite you to visit. Our blog there this week comes from Stacy Anderson, PhD. She is also a vegan lifestyle coach and educator certified through Main Street Vegan Academy. And her post is called Ethical Hedonist Veganism. You know, some people think that we're also self-sacrificing and that we don't have very much fun. Well, Stacy really highlights the great joyous joy that can come from being vegan. So do check that out. So today, after the break, we are going to be talking about feeding the hungry, which is something that goes on in this world. I guess it's gone on as long as there have been people here. And uh, our guest has a very unique way that just about all of us can help to do that. And right now, it is my pleasure to introduce Brenda A. Morris. She is a vegan and a certified financial planner. I know we've been trying to devote one one segment of, of each episode to something that has to do with what people are going through 
right now, if you happen to be listening in the right now era, which is the spring of 2020. So we've been uh, concerned about building our immunity. We've been concerned about being free from fear and anxiety. And a lot of us are concerned about money. So Brenda is going to address all these things today. Brenda A. Morris went vegetarian at 16 when she first learned that eating animals was not necessary to survive. She has built a mission-based financial planning service that exists not just to empower people to live their best cruelty-free life, but also to show money managers that socially responsible investing people believe that businesses that exploit animals should not be included in their investment universe. She will not work with someone who doesn't get it no matter how much money they want to invest. Brenda is an investment advisory representative of First Affirmative, and it's my pleasure, Brenda, to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Victoria. Well, it's wonderful to have you. I think you were on my Charmed Life show on Sirius back, golly, 12, 15 years ago. Well, I remember you were a fabulous guest, and I look forward so much to having you you. on again. So you are easy to speak with, so thank you. Bless you. So before we get into the right now, which I think is just a lot of people afraid uh, about uncertainties of, of jobs and investments and all of that, but bring us first into what you do and what it means to be a humane investing expert. Sure. So I started way back when I left the big corporate world in 2008. And at that time, I didn't really know a lot about socially responsible investing because we never really talked about it at work before. And I know they had the portfolios available, but it wasn't until the president of the Vegetarian Society asked me to speak on it that I started delving into it. And that's when I was so disappointed to find out that even though we cared about workers and employment and human rights and the environment, that nobody was addressing the treatment of animals at all. And so I naively thought, well, I'll tell them about this and they'll change. (laughs) Well, that did not happen. So it's been a long, long process. And I feel bad when people contact me for the first time and they're super excited and I have to break it break it down to them that unfortunately my big successes are so small and it makes me sad and I feel like this might be a turning point so not to jump into corona but I'm hoping that this is a turning point for everybody oh my goodness I hope so too because when you look at veganism and I know that old phrase if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and that it's possible when non-vegans talk to us, they just roll their eyes and think, oh, you think going vegan is going to fix everything. But, oh, my goodness, this virus (laughs) started with animals. (laughs) The the kinds of health conditions that makes the virus hit people harder are those that can very often be prevented and even reversed with this kind of diet. It's... It's so clear to some of us and hopefully becoming clearer to all. So for somebody who's out there who's got mutual funds or or wants to get into investing, how would they shift from what they're doing now to a humane portfolio? Well, since so many people, the bulk of their assets are at work in a retirement plan, 
it, it would be really great if they can contact their HR department and ask if they can add socially responsible options. And I, I was speaking just yesterday to Claire Smith. She has the vegan, the very first vegan ETF, and a lot of retirement plans don't have ETFs, but if they could add that, that's a wonderful. I think she was great for bringing the conversation to, a, to the mainstream media because prior to that, nobody knew what vegan investing was, but now there's a vegan ETF. There's um. Carner Blue, Carner Blue is actually doing animal friendly investing and they're they're less well known but they're getting the word out there too. So if you could contact HR and say, "Hey, can we add animal friendly options?" and of course they won't know what you're talking about. So that's where you can talk to your financial advisor, feel free to call me, I'll talk to them, but see if they can add some other options to your plan at work. And for people who are not thinking right now about investing, but just about what's the world going to look like a month from now, can you just talk us through or maybe talk some of us off a ledge? How do you see this tremendous, unexpected um, situation that's going on financially as well as in so many other ways? So I read a lot, and that's really here. I spend most of my time is seeing what the other people are thinking and digesting it and helping my clients understand what's going on. And the general consensus seems to be, and of course this could change at any given time, but the general consensus seems to be that rather than what's called a V-shaped recovery, like we hit bottom and shoot back up, it more likely will be a U-shaped recovery where we're going to trudge along at the bottom for a bit. But when it goes up quickly, it's going to go up really quickly, most likely, like it has in the past. Um, one thing that I did send to all my clients last month or a couple weeks ago, <laughs> every day seems so different these days, but was the dangers of market timing. And you've probably seen iterations of this before, but it shows that in a 10-year period, if you were fully invested, and in this period, this is an old, uh, an old visual that I used, but in a 10-year period, you, if you stayed fully invested, you would have made 280% in your account. If you missed just the 30 best days, you would have made 17%. I just feel like those numbers Whoa. are so dramatic. So, so that's why I encourage people that, yes, if we had said it when corona started, let's get out of the market, but getting back in is the tough part. So I had, I, out of all my clients, I only had one client who was really upset about it, and I told her, I said, even if you get out and tomorrow the market takes off and does really well, I think for you this is the best decision because it was eating her alive. And that's not most people. I think if you've lived through market corrections before, I, sadly, most of my clients were checking on me. <laughs> I was writing to them to see how they were doing. They're like, "This has to be tough for you." And I said, "No, because of you guys, it hasn't been." I mean, they're, they've. Ex I've been telling them every month for the last three years it's going to drop again, like 2008. I had no idea this is what would precipitate it, but it, it, the market does this. It's secular. Mm -hmm. So, um, if somebody is really looking at having to live in reduced circumstances, and they're vegan, right. what kinds of advice would you offer this person? So thank you for asking that, because I picture this continuum, and there's people, I have friends, and I'm sure you do too, that their worst problem right now is that their housekeepers can't come, and they can't go to the salon, and that's depressing to them. But then there's the other side of the spectrum where you need food. And just yesterday, my insurance, my health insurance company sent an email and educated me about a service called Aunt Bursa, which I had never heard of before, aunt or aunt. 
Aunt Bertha, and it's a great website. I went on there. It's a nonprofit, and what you do is you put in your zip code, and it will tell you about all the programs that are available to you because there are people, like you just said, that need money for food. They're going to need help with rent, mortgage, utilities, and there's so many services out there that it can be overwhelming trying to research them. So I would I would check them out. I have Anthem Health Insurance, and it came from them, so I trust that it's a legitimate source. Mm. Okay, well, that's very helpful. Hopefully that will help somebody out there. So as you look around at the financial world and and how it's done, how people see it, I know that there are a lot of our fellow vegans who just think the entire system should be scrapped. And they'll say uh, that very word capitalism, it comes (laughs) from cattle and we, we should just get rid of it and do something else. But for right now, it's what we have. So what do you see that's wrong? What do you see that's right? And what do you see that we can do right now to make it even better? Right. You know, I think I've told you this before. When I used to table at animal rights conferences years ago, what you just said was the general consensus, and people would literally look at me and scrunch their noses with disgust that I was even at the animal rights conference, and they would say capitalism is evil, but as I think it comes with age and maturity where they say, well, this is what we have to work with. Let's work with it. Uh, so I, that's where the exciting part of my job comes in because you can put pressure on these companies and you can reward the companies that are moving in the right direction or not. And like I said, my successes are so small with them, but they are successes. And I do try to reach out to the companies and say, hey, we'd be willing to have you in our portfolio if you do X, Y, and Z. And it's not just me doing it. I mean, PETA has been doing it for years. Humane Society has been doing it for years. And now that, I don't know if you're familiar with the group FAIR, F-A-I-R-R, now that they're on the scene, I think it's made it a lot easier because they're saying, don't just invest in companies that are doing good for the world because it makes you feel good, but they're saying financially, it's going to impact your portfolios if you're not acknowledging the risks associated with factory farming. So it's funny, I didn't even realize that I've had this on my board right in my office for years, but it has right on their disease outbreak, and that's one of the things that FAIR has talked about and the importance of protein diversification. So they engage with companies directly and say, if you're not acknowledging the risks associated with factory farming, your portfolios are going to be hurting. So as you look at at vegan business and, and more vegan businesses going public, this does look, from where I sit, like it's the future but it's your world (laughs) is it the future I agree. I 100% agree. And it, get, it, it gets me excited because I feel like, and, and I'm sure you do too, I feel like this time it, we are at a turning point. And like you said earlier about the health implications, unfortunately, the people that are hurting the most from corona are the people that have these these um, conditions that are a lot of time caused by eating animals. So I feel like with health with the older people, the younger people are looking at it from an environmental perspective, it, it's going to happen. So and with all the plant-based products that are coming out, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, I, I think so too. And that's exciting. And it's it's fun to have a little bit of <laughs> one of these plant-based companies and just yes. feel like you're, you know, kind of a, a tiny bit part of that. Yes, so, absolutely. So what excites you the most in, in the vegan investing space? I guess that this is finally happening. I've, I, I feel like, and this isn't me saying this, but financial stress is the number one stress for Americans, even in quote-unquote normal times. So in this 
I'm really hoping this is giving people pause and they're being being able to prioritize and see what's important to them and that they'll come out of it differently. And I feel like, this is funny, but I work from home and I have my office at home, so I feel like I've been more social now than I have been in the past. And Zoom calls all day, every day, with all different business people and strategic calls. And I feel like that's been a theme where people who had been in jobs they didn't like, they're reevaluating that. And I was telling someone yesterday, I said, if you're going to have a blank spot on your resume, this is the time to do it because I think it will be less cringeworthy from a interview <laughs> when you're being interviewed because so many people out of work where you can reevaluate and say, what do I want to do differently? Um, and if people, from a financial perspective, if you have been laid off, make sure you don't take that money out of your IRA unless you're absolutely needed. I think too many people grab it and then you're going to have to pay taxes and a penalty. So Try to roll it over into your new job. If you don't open an IRA, I can tell you how to do that if you need help. But, um, yeah, just don't take it out when you leave or you will get penalized. Mm. So if you do want to reach out to Brenda, her website is humaneinvesting.com. And uh, Humane Investing LLC, is that your YouTube or what's that? Oh, my website, social media? humaneinvesting.com. Okay. And do you have social media? Yeah, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. At Humane Investing. Um, Yes, that's correct. Sorry. Great. Perfect. Okay. So for somebody who's never thought about investing, maybe somebody young or somebody who just thinks, oh, you know, that's for rich people, what does it take to, to start? What does it take to get in? So I was, I don't remember how old I was when I went into the bank and the woman who was working there showed me the chart, and I got so excited to see how fast my money could grow if I invested it. And that's literally what was one of the things that precipitated me going into this. But, yes, you don't need a lot of money to start. And there, most of the mutual funds, you can put in 1000 2000 And I would do that once you have a savings account established. So I even put together Investing 101 videos to show people how to get started just because I was getting so many calls of people who are just starting out, and they want to get involved, and they just didn't know where to go. And this sounds horrible to say, but I feel like a lot of people in my profession make it sound more complicated than it is to keep their jobs, but it's really not complicated. Uh, And I think a lot of people don't think that they know as much as they do. And I've seen that especially with women where they say, I don't know anything about it. And the more I talk to them, they actually do, but they've been intimidated by people who make it sound, like I said, more complicated. So yeah, investing 101 videos I have, and then, like I said, I'm happy to talk to people, too, and it's it's fun for me. It's arrogant that I <laughs> I don't have children, so I always joke. It makes me feel important when people need help. <laughs> I like uh, to feel good about it. So. Well, you're very good at giving help. You're also very good at, at giving lectures. I've heard you address uh, conferences several times, and you can talk about some of these more intimidating uh, areas of, of uh, inter- action that um, make people make people feel comfortable so what kind of what kind of response Brenda do you get from colleagues I don't think of the financial services industry as being perhaps as as populated with vegans as perhaps the yoga teaching industry (laughs) that is so 
so true. Um, no, you're right. And yesterday when I was talking to Claire, I wanted her to speak at our SRI conference, and I warned her ahead of time that I applied every year for years and was rejected. And then this past year, they had Seth Goldman from Beyond Meat speak. So I feel like that's a big turning point, too, because he's so approachable and he's so wonderful. And to have him speak to investment professionals about the future being plant-based was a huge win because this conference reaches 700 to 800 financial professionals across the country. And for them to hear, okay, this is something I probably haven't thought about enough, I feel like that is going to be more on people's minds. But historically, it has depressed the heck out of me because your bar is higher for these people when you go. These are change-the-world people who want to make the world a better place, and yet they're chowing on our friends at dinner. So (laughs) it was always hard for me. And I told them, and I, I was honest with them, I said, it's harder for me to see you eat animals than other people because you purport to want to change the world and make it a better place, where some people just don't even say that. Um, but I hope that's changing, too. Mm, now, SRI, the, those initials stand for Socially Responsible Investing, in case anybody didn't know that. Now, even your voicemail, I called you today, and the very last line in your voicemail was, thank you for not eating animals. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my goodness. People are calling you for investment advice and you are putting it out there. What kind of response do you get? I think most of the people who are calling expect that from me, but it was actually from a client. She's the one who gave that to me. I get so much information from my clients. It's awesome. I have one who told me to watch Animal People. Have you seen that on Netflix? No. It's it's hard to watch. It's about animal testing, and I feel like that's something I am ignorant about. So I tried to watch it twice now, and it's hard because there's, it shows a lot of horrible footage from the shack folks who fought to get them to stop animal testing. Yes. Uh, but my clients are the ones who tell me about these things. I have a list of things I'm going to try to do during this downtime because they said, you need to see this, you need to watch this, you need to reach out to here. And it's really neat having the people that I work with in my life every day as they all are my best friends now. So, But mm-hmm. yeah, one client is the one who said who <laughs> encouraged me to change my voicemail to that. Well, I think that the animal testing is the hardest thing to understand. If you are someone who's invested in mutual funds that maybe a broker selected, you know the names of the companies, but you don't necessarily know what they do. So how can one research companies and find out who is uh, doing bad things to animals and who isn't? The PETA site is great. They're a wonderful resource for that. But this is the part that, for my job, at least in my mind, is the gray area because I reached out to every pharmaceutical company that was in a client's portfolio one time, and I said, if you do animal testing, we have to get rid of you. And most of them replied back that we don't want to, but we have to. It's legally required. They could get sued. And that made me sad. And that's where I started thinking, well, we need to change the laws. And Wait, I had um, a lot of people think I do private equity and I don't. So I had a gentleman reach out to me and he had developed one of the alternatives to animal testing. And I included a link to his new product that he's working on to these emails to pharmaceutical companies because I feel like if once it's acceptable for them to be able to use these alternatives, I, I might be naive on this, but I think they'll embrace it. I don't think very I think very few people enjoy testing on animals. They're, I think you'll find a rare sociopath in there, but I think most of the time they believe they don't have an option. So as these options become more prevalent and more widespread, and even after Corona, when they're trying to skip over doing the animal testing and all, you know, to make it available to the public, I'm hoping that will set a precedent too. Well, I think that anytime we 
come through a period when we're very aware of human suffering, that it awakens something in the human heart so that we can be more aware of all suffering. And once that spark is ignited, then it's no longer possible to to shut out people who are far away, to shut out non-human beings. It's, uh, I guess, a way that pain opens the heart. I love you. I think that is well. <laughs> you articulate it much better, but yes. <laughs> well, you articulate pretty well yourself, Brenda A. Morris, humaneinvesting.com. So um, right now, what are, what are you doing with your money? Have you changed anything? Are you going to no. change anything? Or are you just yeah. sitting still, holding steady? So good question. This was the fun part of my job. Two weeks ago when the market went down, was it two weeks ago? I think it was. When it went down as much as it had, I was encouraging people, and it was funny, a couple clients were on the same page as me already. I was encouraging them to, and I, and I did this for them, and they didn't have to do it, but people can do this in their own portfolios. You can do tax loss harvesting so that you can sell at a loss, and then you can use that loss on your tax returns this year, and then you buy something back when prices were low. So it's actually, it was a double win because you could rebalance your portfolios. And all that means is if, if say, you had, for example, 60% of your portfolio in stocks and 40% in bonds, well, stocks got hammered, so you might only have 50%. So you were able to sell some of that fixed income that was still up and then put it into equities when equity prices were low. So I told them this could be the... I don't like to time the market, but I said it it could go lower. But I believe this is probably a good time to do it, and it actually has so far. But like you asked me in the beginning, what's going to happen a month from now? Who the heck knows? But <laughs> prices were so low two weeks ago that it was a good time to do it. Yeah, and I think it takes uh, maybe a, a little bit of courage that not everybody has. I think. No, that, you're uh, correct. You're correct. But you, you want to rebalance anyhow, so why not do it when prices were as low, acknowledging that they could go lower? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, how about consciousness? Let's bring it away from the money field and, sure. and take it a little bit lofty. So I think that's raising. I think we are coming into a period of bull consciousness. How do you see it? I agree. I I received a text from my brother three two or three weeks ago, and he said, one of my friends has a yoga studio, and they have to close it because of corona. Here's a link if you want to do Zoom. I said, no, thank you. And then I felt guilty. <laughs> so I signed up. I've been doing yoga every single day. I haven't done yoga in 20 years. And I see that in people because they talk before the classes start on Zoom. And I, these people, and by and large, I'm sure, are not vegan. But I feel like people are paying more attention to what's going on in the world in a good way. And it might be positive thinking on my part, but I feel like you're absolutely right that people are going to start thinking about things more than they have. And see well, the connection. It's empowering because, I mean, there, is some, there are things we can do. Don't get stressed about the things we can't control. Focus on the things we can. Yeah. So tell us something we can do right now, this minute, today, in our last minute together. Well, financially, if you need money, I mean, I would cut your expenses as much as you can in case you do, in case bad times last longer than we think. But if for for yourself personally, get outside, exercise. Get fresh air. I run every day with my pup, and <laughs> it's been a lifesaver. And I encourage other people to the extent they're able to to get outside. It's uh, sometimes the simple things are the Indeed. very, very best. <laughs> Indeed. Thank, 
Thanks so much, Brenda Morris, HumaneInvesting.com. Do check her out. Bless you, Brenda. And, I hug uh, you virtually. I hug you back. Everybody else, stay with us because we're going to be talking about feeding the hungry and how you can help do that. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. Before we get into our second segment in earnest, I do have some announcements. I mentioned earlier Enchanted April. That's a project that I am doing for the month of April 2020. So if you're listening then, you can join us every morning on Facebook Live at 11.30 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And I'm going to give you URLs, but I know that you're on a treadmill or something. So just know that all these URLs are on our show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So you can get to my Facebook at uh, tinyurl.com slash vmoranfb. That stands for Victoria Moran Facebook, V Moran FB. And then if that's not a convenient time for you, but you'd like to just check out what we've been doing for Enchanted April, or if you happen to be listening far in the future, uh, it's on my YouTube page, uh, which is Victoria Moran NYC. And again, we'll have the actual link um, on the, uh, the show notes. Also, A Prayer for Compassion, Thomas Jackson's beautiful film that introduces vegan living to people who identify as religious or spiritual, is finally da, 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 on Amazon Prime. I am so, so excited. And so you can find that. I've given it a tiny URL of Compassion Prime, or you can just do some searching Prayer for Compassion film, and you can watch it in your very own home or from your very own phone. We are so, so excited about that. And final announcement, the online course, Compassionate Eating, that I am doing for the good people here at Unity. This program, as you know, comes from Unity Online Radio, but they do all sorts of great things. And they have an online learning program called Spiritual Explorers that includes my Compassionate Eating course. And for the month of April, that is free. But you need to use the code, which is PRAYER123. So just uh, check out, here's the tiny URL, uvegclass, letter U, veg class. Uh, check out Compassionate Eating. It'll tell you that it costs money, but just keep going and you put in your prayer one, two, three, and you'll get it for free through April 30 of 2020. So I hope some of those things will enrich your life. And somebody who has enriched my life for a long time is Paul Rodney Turner. 
You may know him as the Food Yogi. He is the author of five books, including Food Yoga, Nourishing Body, Mind, and Soul. But he's also known as someone who has raised millions of dollars for food relief. He's cooked for world leaders, including the world's most humble president, Jose Pepe Mejuca, the 40th president of Uruguay. Paul Rodney Turner is a former monk. He is the founder and director of Food for Life Global, the world's largest vegan food relief network. And he is also the founder of the Feed Ohm Kindness Ecosystem that is behind the Ohm Guarantee Certification that we're going to be talking about today. Hey, Paul. Hey, Victoria. Thank you again for offering me the opportunity to share with your friends. Oh, well, it's wonderful, wonderful to be with you. So I do want to ask you first, before we get into Feeding the Hungry, I want to talk about your wife's project. So tell us what you guys are doing down there in Colombia. Well, Colombia, this is the first or the only animal sanctuary in Colombia. It was the first one established in the whole of South America about 14 years ago by, by Juliana. And it's quite unique because um, because it's the only one in Colombia and because it's totally vegan. And so we do a lot of vegan advocacy, of course. We have over 100 animals. They're all rescued. They all have their own unique story. And it's very beautiful. We're up high in the mountains here, 3,000 or 10,000 feet above sea level. Um, and it's going on. We're, we're, you know, we're struggling at the moment because of the, the, the restrictions on the COVID-19 thing. It's, it's impacting our, our donors. Uh, but other than that, everything's fine here. And I think that was not one of the uh, URLs that you gave me. So tell us the name of the sanctuary and how we can find it. You can find it on social media, Juliana's Animal Sanctuary. She uses the same one in the website as, as well as julianasanimalsanctuary.org. Oh, beautiful. Okay, well, hopefully uh, we can help you out, help some of the animals there in Colombia. So now just give us a little bit of your history. Very few people can say that they were once a monk. How did you fall into all of this? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. At the time, I became a monk when I was 19, so I was a bit of a philosopher through my teenage years. Um, I was a regular kid playing football and chasing girls and all that sort of stuff, but I was also very philosophical. And when I was 19, I, for some reason, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try being a monk for a while. I uh, just cut out of this material world. And at the time, I thought I was starting late. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, I wasted so much time. Why didn't I do this earlier? And I ended up uh, staying, uh, living the life of a celibate monk for 14 years. So we lived very simply. Uh, I never slept on a bed during that time. I slept on the floor in a sleeping bag and I never used a pillow even. And I used to have cool showers and had a very regulated life, rising early at 3, 3.30 in the morning, having like uh, regulated eating. And, and uh, we studied and we chanted and we worked very hard. And, um, and during that time, I also got involved with the Food for Life Project as one of the early volunteers, and that then led me around the world and eventually establishing the headquarters for that project in the USA. I was living in Australia. I didn't mention it, but I'm originally from Australia. I think we could tell that. <laughs> so, I, and I love, I love your My rooster. My accent is not so strong. It, oh, you can not... hear the roosters, yeah. 
Yes, that's lovely. Well, I kind of hide myself in a bedroom whenever I do the show because my rescue pigeon makes pigeon sounds. But now I'm thinking it would be a, a lovely uh, harmonic gathering <laughs> if we had rooster and pigeon. So tell us about Food for Life Global. Who, who do you help and how? So Food for Life Global was established originally in 19... 19- 95 in in uh, Potomac, Maryland. And the purpose of it was, because Food for Life has a long history going back to a very grassroots program in India where, you know, the culture was such that no one should go hungry. It was very common for, for householders to, like, invite people from the street if they were hungry to make sure that, you know, because they, they saw the bigger picture, they saw the community as all family of God, everyone's a family, everyone's a um, a son or a daughter of God, and so they didn't want anyone to go hungry. So that's the grassroots program started in West Bengal as a, just a village feeding program. I got involved a few years later in Australia, and we had a soup kitchen in Sydney. And then 10 years later, I ended up finding myself in the USA, establishing Food Flow Global as a headquarters to help coordinate and expand and, and sort of guide the the expansion of this project around the world. That took me to many countries over the years. I've actually visited 70 countries to set up Food for Life projects. And the mission of Food for Life is essentially to unite the world through pure food. Um, We believe that food speaks all languages. And when the food is very pure, prepared with a pure consciousness, and it's vegan, it's nonviolent, it has the power to transform consciousness. So we believe that when people have the experience of eating this food, and just food in general has this ability to sort of bring people together. And our belief is that that is the best way to address world hunger because world hunger is only existing because of the divisions that we create in, in our cultures around the world. We sort of separate ourselves, see ourselves as independent, when in fact we're all part of one global English community. So Food for Life Global's mission is to, you know, to unite the world through pure food. And so far, we've we've done a lot in that respect. We have projects in 60 countries. Uh, we have over 200 affiliates now. And on average, the projects serve around two plant-based, you know, vegan meals, freshly cooked vegan meals every single day. So we're the most cost-efficient and uh, the biggest food relief in the world right now. Oh, now, tell me that number again. It seemed a little bit muddled, and I think that's an important number, how many uh, meals you serve every day. It's it's on average around 2 million meals a day, 2 million. So wow. it's quite, quite unique. That's yeah, powerful. <laughs> we, and the reason is, is because we, we have uh, very efficient programs in India. Our biggest projects are in India, and we have these super kitchens. And in these super kitchens, we... Some of them will serve 50 to 60 to 70,000 meals a day. And they'll have like um, 700 liter rice cookers and chapati making machines. And so we'll just pump out very large quantities of food. And it's, it's, it's quite an impressive um, you know, operation. And we have many of those in all the major, major cities throughout India. So that's where the numbers are, are the biggest. But we have projects in 60 countries. So what's happening now? I've heard that the lockdown in India for coronavirus protection is very stringent. Has that shut off the project or is it there has, a way that you could keep doing it? We are actually still doing it. Um, the, the biggest programs in India are 
we participate in what's called the Midday Mill Program. It was an a government initiative where the, the government decided that they didn't want any of the children at school going hungry. So they put out a request to the nonprofit sector to, to see if anyone wanted to help them to make sure that all the kids got a meal, you know, at lunchtime. So Food for Life was one of those charity partners. And so that that midday meal program is not going on now because all the schools are closed, but we're using our operations, our, you know, our facilities now to to go to other places where people are gathering, uh, people on the streets and, and some and, and, and so forth. The numbers aren't as big, but we still are actually doing food relief in across oh, India. That's beautiful. Now, you said earlier something I just wanted to pick up on. You talked about food prepared with consciousness. And I know there's something to that. Can you explain to us what that is and how can we bring that into our own kitchens? Yeah, well, that's where the whole food yoga concept came from. Um, when I was a monk, I learned of the power of consciousness, the power of intention when you are preparing the meals. So when we prepared meals in the kitchens, we actually wouldn't even taste the food while we prepared it. We would actually prepare the meals and just from sight, just by looking at it, we knew how much salt, spice to put in. And we're talking large quantities too, so it was no easy feat. But what happens is when you cut off the senses, your, your intuition, intuition increases. So you actually develop a, a sort of a sixth sense, so to speak. So you can actually have more control over the, the flavor of the meal without even having to taste it. And the idea being is that we don't want to contaminate it with any sort of selfish consciousness as we're preparing it. So the fact is that everything is energy in this world. Um, food is energy. And also our thoughts are another form of energy. And so as we prepare meals, our thoughts are one of the ingredients they go into the meals. So when you prepare the food, it's important that you have the right consciousness, that you have positive thoughts, loving thoughts, you care about the people that you're going to serve, that sort of thing. So we take that very seriously at Food for Life, and that's actually part of our protocol. We, You have to do that in order to um, run a Food for Life program. Now, food yoga essentially is sort of in, is capturing that idea, that idea of using having more conscious relationship with food food being uh, yoga may, meaning to unite so we're sort of connecting with food on a more on a deeper level so in the in my book food yoga i explain this in detail uh, how anyone can actually learn to become a food yogi or cook with consciousness and thereby not only nourish their body and mind but also nourish their spirit as well and that's very important. It's something which is most people don't talk about these days. They just think about the, the calories and the, the vitamins and the minerals of food, but actually the subtle aspect of food, the consciousness, the intention which is in the food is just as important because it shapes our consciousness. Wow. You remind me, uh, over 20 years ago when I was living in Kansas City, there was a Vietnamese restaurant in the neighborhood, and everybody knew that if you weren't feeling well, you needed to go and get Mimi's soup. And a friend of mine challenged me mm -hmm. once and she said, why does Mimi's soup heal people? And I said, mm -hmm. I don't really know. It has a lot of vegetables. And she said, no, it's because Mimi puts love in that soup. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, 
Yeah, I'm sure that's uh, what you guys are doing too. So Ohm Guarantee, now this is newer and this is something for business people or maybe anybody with a website. What is it and can we be part of it? Anyone can actually get involved. So I've been a, I've been a humanitarian for over 30 years now, 36 years. So it's a big part of my life. And I'm, Food for Life Global, as I mentioned, is a very cost-efficient food relief. We can feed more people for less money than anyone on the planet. Um, so I wanted to leverage that efficiency and bring it to the conscious marketplace to provide an opportunity for social entrepreneurs to actually support this program, support this good initiative, and also get something back tangible which can benefit their brand. So I came up with what's called the OM Guarantee, OM Guarantee Certification. And in this case, OM stands for Output Measurable Guarantee. So we're actually guaranteeing a measurable social output of, in this case, feeding a needy child a vegan meal. So companies can get their product or service OM Guarantee certified. They can allocate a set number of outputs that they want to make with the sale of their products or services. And in this way, they can incentivize their customers to purchase their product other than you know their competitors and and also they can they can make a meaningful contribution to society in a measurable and certified way so it's a win-win for everybody <clears throat> because at the end of the day you actually get something back tangible a certification that you can put on your website on your product um, which can actually make you stand out in the marketplace. So it's a very beautiful thing and we're, we're signing up a lot of companies. It's, it's, uh, there's really no limit to who can, you know, who can be uh, involved in this other than you have to be a conscious company. So we have some s sort of standards we want companies to, um, to meet. So for example, if you're in the food sector, you would have to be only selling vegan food and then we would give you the opportunity to purchase on guarantee certifications. And similarly, in other sectors, we set, we set a certain standard of social responsibility. And the website is omguarantee.com, so you can read about om that. Omguarantee.com. And, uh, <clears throat> and each, just to and just add to that, each om guarantee is only twenty five cents. So the idea is is that is that each of the companies can set their you know set uh, their participation based on their budget. Uh, es essentially, it's a marketing or advertising expense. It's not a donation because you're getting something tangible back which can actually add value to your brand. Yes. Oh, that's exciting. Now, you talk about cause marketing and that this is a cause marketing activity. What does that mean and why is that important today? Well, a lot of consumers today are demanding that companies give back or support charitable causes. So cause marketing actually has been around for a while. It started in the 80s with AMX, but it's only just in the last five years really taken off where consumers are now more, more aware of the impact companies are making with their products, you know, whether that's environmental impact or, or whatever. Um, and they therefore demand their co these companies to, you know, do good. Be careful with you know, your impact on society, your impact on the environment, your impact on other living entities. Um, and so they're demanding that they give back in a tangible way. So cause marketing was, is, is essentially means that where they're attaching their product or their marketing to a cause. Now, what's unique about the OM guarantee is that you're not just assigning, you're, you're not just aligning your product or service or brand to a cause, but you actually you're you're getting you're doing so in such a way that it's measurable. There's a measurable output. 
because it's so easy for a company to say, oh, we give 1% to, you know, save the rainforest, for example. But who's actually measuring the output? What actually happened with that money? Was that money actually allocated to planting trees or whatever? So what we say is, no, with every 25 cents that you allocate, which would purchase an arm guarantee, we guarantee a needy child will get a freshly cooked vegan meal. So it's a tangible, measurable output. So that's quite unique in the marketplace. No one else has done that before. Mm. That's beautiful. And I think it also helps somebody like me living here in New York City, where there are a lot of people on the street and a lot of people needing help. And I, I, I never really know what to do. And so this is a way, even though it's helping a, a different population group, it, it's still, it's what you say, you, you know what you're giving, you know where it's going, and you know it's doing um, what, what uh, your intention was. So everybody, if you are in business, or if you know people in business, check that out, omguarantee.com. Now, Paul, you're working on four books I find that working on one book <laughs> is all I can do <laughs> yeah. at any given time. But I want to ask about a couple of these. One appears to be a sequel to Food Yoga, and it's called Sacred Foods for a Food Yogi. What's that about? Right. So in my research for Food Yoga and the idea of food, the type of food we eat can really impact our consciousness, I came across um, information which revealed that there are many herbs and certain foods which traditionally have been used in sacred ritual and for the purpose of like shifting consciousness or bringing, making someone more intuitive and so on. For example, bay leaves. Now, it's very common for, for people to put bay leaves in like tomato soups and, and spaghetti sauces and so on. And, and bay leaves actually are renowned for their ability to actually increase our intuitive uh, intuitive skills, for example, and there are you know there are other herbs and spices like that. They have what I'm done with this particular book is that I'm only highlighting those herbs or spices of foods which have a more subtle impact on our body, on our consciousness. And so I, I talk about those, and then I give a recipe for each one of them. So that's called sacred foods. Oh, I love that. Give us two or three others. We've got bay leaves. <laughs> So bay leaves, uh, Tulsi is another one. Uh, Tulsi, it's like the um, the sacred basil. You may have heard of sacred basil, Tulsi. So I've Tulsi is tea. traditionally used in all of the offerings in in Hindu temples. They put a Tulsi leaf on the on the actual food before they offer it to Krishna or Vishnu. So Tulsi also is uh, also raises consciousness, makes you more aware, and it can protect from radiation, which is another interesting thing. Um, so <laughs> for those people worried about 5G and so on. So Tulsi is very good for protecting from radiation, for purifying the blood and, and uh, raising consciousness. That's another one. Um, and then, you know, things like uh, uh, barley, for example. I'm just trying to think of some. I don't have the book in front of me now. <laughs> uh, barley is very grounding. Uh, it's a very grounding. So when you're feeling a little bit up in the clouds and sort of spaced out, then uh, grains like barley, barley is one of the most ancient ancient grains on the planet, barley and rye, they will ground you and help you bring back you down, bring you back down to earth. Aha. 
I recall seeing barley on a list of Ojas producing foods, foods that help create this ethereal mm -hmm. uh, golden fluid <laughs> that uh, is, is supposed to uh, make, make you glow. So yeah, well, Ojas is the last stage of, of the process of, of how food breaks down in the body. It goes through many stages. They're called uh, datus. And so at the end of this, you know, once food enters your body, it goes through many stages, breaks down to marrow, then blood and so on. And eventually it gets to ojas, which is the highest, most powerful, the essence, the energy of that food. And the idea is, as a monk at least, is that you want to cultivate that ojas and you want to uh, preserve it. And it's expressed most, you know, visibly in the form of semen or sexual fluids in a woman. Uh, so that that those sexual fluids actually contain it's like concentrated versions of that ojas in the body. So that's why we practice celibacy. Yes, fascinating. Yoga philosophy can take a lifetime or two <laughs> to delve into. Yes, exactly. So just in, in our last couple of minutes, I'm also fascinated by this one. The Alpha Omega Man, How to Reclaim Your oh. Lion <laughs> Warrior Spirit. So warrior comes up in spiritual traditions as a good thing and yet we also don't want to be warlike what do we do with that yeah it's a good one um i felt like there was a need you know to write something like this because of how men have been sort of sort of sort of categorized as the bad guys you know that the problems to all, all all things are happening in the world today and i don't think it's that's very fair um, essentially, we're not male or female anyway. We're a spiritual being, and we actually are a combination of both. But <clears throat> at least in our physical expression, we have, you know, different physical bodies. So what I'm getting at with this book is to talk about uh, for males, and the book is really just for men, is to sort of reclaim your your leadership quality, your warrior spirit, like you're a leader, you're courageous, you're willing to, you know, sacrifice yourself for the for the benefit of the family, for the community, you know, for the greater good. So you're a warrior, you're courageous, you're confident, uh, that sort of thing. But to complement that with the Amiga, so Alpha being number one and Amiga being the last letter of the alphabet, Amiga actually stands for great. And in this sense, uh, I, I refer to that greatness being the nature of the soul. You are a soul, ultimately. You're not a male body. The body is just a vehicle for you to express yourself. So the alpha omega male is that man who is confident, who has a male leadership qualities, but he's also um, nourishing that with a nice, healthy dose of compassion, empathy, you know, care, service, attitude, that sort of thing. So this is where the omega comes in. I love it. Well, I hope that you're writing every single day because I want to certainly read these two, and I know you're working on others as well. Thank you so much, you. Paul Rodney Turner, the food yogi. OmGuarantee.com and our first guest, Brenda Morris, HumaneInvesting.com. Thanks to Unity Online Radio. Thanks to you for listening. Be happy, be healthy, be blessed, be vegan. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.